0: Welcome back to the Inside Japan podcast, which is sponsored by jobsinjapan.com, the best place on the internet to find your next job in Japan. Today, I'm talking with my friend, John Amari, who is a freelance journalist in Japan. He's written for Wired Japan, Global Finance, which is an American organization, and he's also co-authored The Startup Guide in Tokyo, which is a book about startups in Tokyo. Super useful for anyone who's interested in entrepreneurship and startups in Tokyo. Hi John, thank you so much for joining me. Hey Charlie, um, great meeting you,
1: you. great joining you today.
0: Yeah yeah it's fantastic, I haven't seen you for a a little while so it's really good to uh, have a little catch up before we started here. So um, what kind of journalism do you do in Japan
1: and how did you get into that? What kind of journalism? Um, well it depends on the publication it's uh, freelance journalism i cover stories on finance for example um, for global finance um, uh, technology and culture for a company like wired japan Um, and for the publication startup guide which is a i think berlin-based publisher they write about various uh, cities around the world and the startup culture in each city and when they wanted to write about Tokyo for the first time, they contacted a whole bunch of freelancers here. And um, I was one of the four co authors of Startup Guide Tokyo, which was published in 2019. Um, they subsequently published a, a follow up book called Startup Guide Japan. I wasn't part of that publication, but yes, um, so my writing covers things like finance, uh, technology, startup culture, um, and science and technology. Um, I also, work as a public relations officer from time to time um or brand communication communication consultant uh, and have consulted for co- organizations like uh, Tokyo university and others
0: oh interesting so um you were telling me before we started the podcast that you were teaching in japan at first is that right
1: yes uh like so many people who come to japan i first came here on what's called the um Japan exchange and teaching program, which is called sometimes the uh, JET program. It's a Japanese government run uh, program where they invite uh, teachers or um, more precisely uh, um, classroom assistants. Um, And they're sent all around Japan, uh, mostly rural locations, you know, places where private companies don't necessarily feel the need to open a business. Um, So Mm -hmm. the Japanese uh, government sends out all these thousands of teachers from around the world um, to assist in in, uh, classrooms. And I I did that uh, in in 2006 um, to 2010 in a place called Ibaraki, which is just south of the famous Fukushima and, you know, a little bit north of Tokyo. Um, That was my sort of introduction to Japan was teaching or assisting in a classroom on the uh, JET program.
0: Yeah, and how did you move? Because that's one of the things that I think a lot of people, they come to Japan, they're like English teachers, and they think, there's no way out of this, I'm going to be an English teacher forever, or I have to leave. Mm -hmm. But there's so many options, like, you know, for people like you and me, we've, we've both kind of started off in teaching and moved into other things. So how did you switch from uh, the JET program in Ibaraki to now what you're doing, you know, writing books and, and uh, working for multiple uh, publications in Tokyo as a journalist?
1: Well, it was actually sudden and very swift. Um, what happened was, if you remember, back in two thousand and eight, nine, ten, there was a the global financial crisis. You know, at that time, I was thinking of going back to the UK, but you know, knowing what what was happening globally, um, knowing friends of mine who had returned to the UK or the US and who were struggling to find jobs, I basically, you know, um, you know, weathered the storm here in Japan. And in two thousand and ten, I. Um, discovered a position that was being advertised in the United Nations University building. So many people don't know, but the UN has a number of institutions and agencies around the world. But the United Nations University is is one that is actually headquartered in Japan, in Mm -hmm. Omojisando in Tokyo. It's a think tank of the UN, um, if you like. But within that uh, university, uh, UN University building. There were several uh, UN agencies embedded inside, and one of them, the, the World Intellectual Property Organization (WIPO), which is uh, headquartered in Geneva but has satellite offices around the world, um, was looking for a writer and researcher for their communications division, their, their PR division. And so I, I applied for the job um, while still an English teacher. Um, went through some interviews, and you know, eventually got the position um, of writer and researchers. That, that was really my sort of leap, if you like, from teaching to, to writing. And I did that for about two and a half years, writing about intellectual property rights and how uh, you know, businesses or individuals used IP, such as patents, copyrights, trademarks, design patents in their business um, d- development portfolio or in uh, protecting their idea or their brand. So that was a great introduction into writing, publishing, online um, research and, you know, delving into, you know, the sort of legal side of running a business. Yeah, that's super interesting
0: because something like that you'd expect that maybe it would be really difficult to, you know, I, I can just imagine the interview. It's like, oh, so you're an English teacher. What qualifies you to, <laughs> to, to talk about intellectual property and, and do all this research and stuff so I can imagine... Uh, a lot of people would be afraid to even apply for that kind of job because they'd think I'm not qualified for this. So, yeah. Um, yeah, why why did you apply for it? And how were you able to
1: sort of convince them that you were the right person for the job? I, I did have a semi-legal background. I, I studied history for my undergraduate. Um, and then after that in London, and then after that I attended uh, a, a postgraduate diploma in law at uh, BPP Law School um, in the central of London. Um, I, I didn't actually complete that course, um, but I ended up in the, the Crime Prosecution Service
0: um, oh, wow.
1: in, in, in part trying to further um, my legal studies. So it was a very um, well, it was an awesome position to, to, to have ended up uh, doing. Um, so I think it was a combination of that sort of like, um, you know, basic legal background and experience in CPS um, that uh, helped with the interview process oh wow okay so
0: what happened after that so you got the the un job and you worked there for two and a half years and then after that um how did you sort of start into the sort of freelance journalist thing where i guess you have a little bit more control over what kind of stuff you're writing about and who you're writing for so that you know you might be able to follow your interests a little bit more
1: yes so the transition from uh, writing for wipo WIPO, um was that the contract ended um, with wipo um we had I was working at that time with an American colleague. We were, we were publishing all these case studies on on their website um, called IP Advantage. Uh, you can look it up, um, and they we had you know populated the website with you know a couple hundred case studies. So they were quite happy with that, um, and so uh, my services weren't required anymore. Um, so you know, my contract coming to an end, I just basically hit up every single person I'd met in Tokyo during those two years because the great thing about working at the WIPO office in Tokyo was that we also did lots of outreach events, um, public events or you know inviting uh, you know IP uh, uh, division heads from companies, you know going to events at the United Nations uh, University itself. So I, d- I developed quite a, a pile of uh, business cards in the corner of my apartment. And so, you know, when I became a freelancer, in essence, I, I went through that pile of business cards. You know, emailed people, phoned people, and but one of the the, the key contacts I made was made was with the um, with the British Chamber of Commerce in in Tokyo, and mm. the then director um, Laurie Anderson, a Scottish woman who is really fantastic. She's well known in the business. Um, Sector here in Tokyo, you know, she was very, uh, very helpful with her, with her suggestions, with with her contacts, and she put me in touch with one uh, media company, um, in in Tokyo uh, called Casting Media, um, and the the co-founder there is uh, actually British, and and mm. so I, that was really my 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 first you know writing gig as a freelancer, if you like. Um, I was writing for the American Chamber of Commerce. Um, they have a business magazine. Um, a monthly business magazine and so I became a freelance writer for them for for many years and I I still occasionally write for them. So that was really the the key thing was to have maintained my contacts while I was at the the UN agency and to basically reaching out to as many of those contacts as possible um, when I became a freelancer.
0: Yeah. It's so important. People don't realize like having a network, especially in somewhere like Tokyo, like Tokyo, yeah. if, it's a huge city. There's tons of people here, but it actually, I don't know. I've, I'm sure you've noticed the same thing where once you start getting into certain communities, like, you know, the startup community or business community or media community, then a lot of people just know each other and you yeah. can kind of quickly assimilate into, into those kind of groups. Like I was, in, I think that's how I met you. I was kind of involved in the sort of startup community and I, I yeah. met a lot of people in, in startups. And then, uh, you know, we know a lot of the same people. Just because exactly. <laughs> once you go around in that place, you know everyone.
1: Um, it's tiny, yeah, the, especially the expat um, slash foreigner community here.
0: Right, and it's interesting. I know the custom media as well. I think they do stuff for the um, the American school. And so I was trying to um, connect with some when I was starting my own school. I was trying to connect with them. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, I wonder how that would be different from something like what you would do because you you said you worked with American companies too which I guess maybe they hire a lot more freelancers and it's maybe a little bit more um, or a little a little less controlled. So in Japan what would be different from how you might do media in the west or you might how how to do uh, freelancing as a a writer um, how might that be different here than it is in the west?
1: That's a tough question because really I mean most of my, most of my professional life I've been in Japan um, mm-hmm. And one thing I will say though is that writing really just, writing really is a very broad term. So I used to sometimes describe myself as a journalist, sometimes as a writer. um, And I found that saying writer instead of journalist sometimes is is more helpful um, because depending on the person, depending on the kind of um, career development you're interested in, you could be a, a very narrow journalist you know focusing in a very narrow field um or you could be a, a writer who is in essence anything in, in involving writing um you could be a copywriter um so you're writing you're almost like a hired you know gun you know um just paid to to write whether That's, it's social media. <laughs> or, right? so yeah. i mean i discovered the word copywriting maybe you know a couple of years after i'd started freelancing as a journalist. Um, mm. I was sitting down with some Japanese friends, and one of them described herself as a copywriter. And I was like, what on earth is a copywriter? Um, and then I, I looked it up, and I, I discovered that, well, it could be anything. Um, you could be a, a ghostwriter. Um, I've ghostwritten blogs for company executives, for example. Um, and that means my name doesn't appear. Um, in, in fact, somebody else's name and face might appear, but I basically wrote the article for them. That's how right. a was a writer. Um, and you know, copywriting is, I and mean, ghostwriting is a subsector of copywriting.
0: Yeah, a lot of the copywriting that I've done has been uh, marketing and advertising copywriting. So um, that's usually, I think, a little bit better paid as well, like um, because right. you're essentially writing to persuade or to uh, inform people about a product or, or for mm-hmm. advertising to, to um, connect with potential
1: customers. So, yeah. Um, yeah. exactly. So it really, just, it really depends on how you describe yourself, you know, whether you're going to be. Um, and, you know, and, and whether you're going to be a, a, a journalist, for example, um, which comes with a whole history and there are all kinds of you know, rules and ethics of journalism that apply. Um, whereas you know, marketing and advertising writing, which is copywriting, um, <laughs> it's basically sort of like the wild, wild west of writing, right? Um, yeah. There are very few rules. I mean, there are rules, but really it, they're the rules that the pain client determines right right so if you're writing for a huge brand they'll they'll share with you their brand identity they could have a, a book or booklet or something um and you have to stick to that brand identity as closely as possible
0: right yeah and sometimes they're really strict like the first um, yeah. one of the first ones that i wrote for was um a uh a developer's website for for um wordpress developers because i was working as a a web developer at the time and um writing about that kind of stuff like they had um i think it was 20 or so pages guidelines of like which fonts to use how often to have images what what size those images should be where you should find those images um you know and uh everything about it like how to write headlines but that was actually incredibly useful for me starting out because Mm -hmm. i didn't realize that there were so many different ways to write i would just like write these long you know kind of like almost like an essay you might write for a university paper or something because that's what i had known from from school and um i you know i I think learning about that, like cutting things up so it's very easy for people to read, like putting subtitles and subheaders so that people can read it and go, oh, okay, I don't care about this part. I'm going to skip to the next part. And then that actually helps people to stay on the page for longer and things like that. So that's when I started getting really into, you know, the sort of marketing side of it and looking at it from, uh, especially things like SEO, making people want to stay on the page. Like this is, I think it's really complicated. People don't realize like how much time it takes to develop that skill, you know?
1: For sure, exactly. So you know, so writing itself is evolving. Um, so there are different categories. You have journalism, and that's you know evolving in a thousand different ways. Um, you have copywriting, and that's evolving in in, in, in myriad ways as well. Um, and for example, and you can you can tell this just by looking at you know the job. Titles and job specifications that companies want nowadays. Um, so today, you'll see, for example, a lot of uh, you know UX writers, for example, you know mm. user experience writers um, for something like an app. And the way you write for an app, it's about sharing um, short information that's guiding somebody through something like an app. That's very different to writing an article, um, you know, describing the news, uh, you know or the, the political news that day. You know, yeah. these, All these things come under the general rubric of writing. And that's why I tend to describe myself as a writer rather than a journalist because I have done all those things.
0: Hi everyone, I hope you're enjoying the conversation and I just want to take a quick moment to mention that this podcast is only possible because of the support of jobsinjapan.com. So next time you're looking for a job, check out jobsinjapan.com. There are tons of jobs on there, not only in English teaching, but also software engineering, hospitality, marketing and consulting, among many others. Most of the jobs on the board do not require any specific level of Japanese and you can get started in minutes. So next time you're looking for a job, check out Jobs in Japan and let's get back to the conversation.
1: And even if you're writing, say, for a magazine, it depends on what kind of magazine, right? Is it like The Economist or is it the is it Wired or is it um, The Guardian? I've, I've not written for The Guardian, um, but each one of them has a style guide. You know, they have editors who, you know, are steeped you know, in a particular kind of tradition. And so you need to be able to, I mean, let's say, you know, out of the blue, you know, the Guardian asked me to write something on you know, Japanese you know, swordsmanship in some village somewhere. I should, first of all, work out which section of The Guardian it's going to go into. Is it culture or something else? Mm. And then I'm going to read a whole bunch of articles that are similar to those um, in the same publication just to get a sense of their style, what they're looking for, punctuation. You know, British punctuation is very different to American public, uh, punctuation in many ways. You've got to look out for things like, you know, language use, you know, I mean, yeah. there, are, there are certain colloquialisms that make sense to somebody with a British background, but would make no sense to somebody with an American background. But it's interesting that you mentioned things like The Economist or something, because
0: I think um, a lot of these publications and something like The Economist, they actually do, um, they published a book about their um, writing style and guidelines. Like, I think it was called, like, How to Write Properly or something like that. And, well, there is The
1: Economist Ec- Ec- Style Guide, yes, which I've read.
0: Yes, yes. I read that as well. That was one of the first things um, one of my friends recommended to me. He said like, you, um, you can write well and you know what you're talking about, but um, this stuff is really important, like writing with good style. So um, I guess that would be one of the things I'd recommend to people who want to get into journalism is, um, you know, or even just writing, you know, copywriting or any other kind of writing is, Mm -hmm. you know, read some style guides and look at and try to figure out like, why do people write in this way? And why does that, because really a lot of it comes down to what works and I think that that kind of like framework for looking at it um, is really helpful because you look at something like um, uh, and I started to read into this when I started getting into the startup scene was um, you look at a lot of landing pages for companies and, you know, a lot of them will be really like chummy and friendly, uh, kind of like it's your buddy talking to you. And I was wondering, like, OK, so this seems like really casual for something that's actually asking for you know, a sell to buy for me to buy something, um, right. but actually, it's it's incredibly useful to write in that way because then it kind of feels a little bit less like uh, you know this company trying to sell you something, and it's a little bit more like hey, buddy, you know, kind of thing. Um, and uh, I think it's useful to learn about that style stuff.
1: Um, but just just to ask uh, to answer your question more precisely, um, I would say that um, you know about writing in Japan. So it depends on the the industry. Um, mm-hmm. D- depends on you know whether it's like journalism or uh you know relations or brand communication um w- w- what i have noticed is that i'm not sure how things work in the west but in japan if you're writing say a business article like you need you need to contact your clients usually well in advance of mm. whatever deadlines you have because things just move, I think, a, a quite a bit slower here. Um, it is, I think, not unusual in the West to contact the public relations division of company and just to get a quote, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Japan, in my experience, that almost never happens. Um, they almost in, inevitably want you to come in and sit down for a whole hour and they'll give you the full lowdown of what's going on, which, which is great, but if you're you know, working to a tight deadline, it can be very difficult to get like just that quick quote. Mm-hmm. So, you, so 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 the, the lead up time is, is usually, you know, several days, if not weeks in Japan, mm-hmm. I've noticed. Um, and then m- managing the message is, I think, well, my sense is a lot of public relations offices of companies in Japan, corporates, um, they view themselves not so much as allies to journalists, more as gatekeepers. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so they very want to say no, um, unless there's a very clear uh, PR win for them. Um, it can be an uphill battle. Um, mm. to I think part of that is because they don't to get through. But I think persistence is really, you know, persistence that, that is not the sort of Western persistence where you're sort of like literally a press gang you know, pushing up against the window pane of some company, but persistence in the sense that you're, well, in my case, at least, I, I try to make my, my persistence very polite, you know, giving them options when I when I write, you know, if this day doesn't work, how about this day, this day, and that day, you know, letting them know what my deadline is in advance, you know, being as, almost killing them with kindness, yeah. uh, <laughs> because being really pushy here, I, I, I feel doesn't get you very far.
0: Right, I totally agree, and I think a lot of that stuff. Like I've noticed that too with, um, uh, even you know, talking about companies, they, I think they want to control all of the the communication about their company about their brand so that's part of the reason why i think it's difficult for them to agree to something like either writing about them or doing video with them because they don't know how it's going to be edited how it's going to look in the end and so they would rather have 100 percent total control and so like reassuring them about that i think that's something that i've done a few times like when i've um you know done videos with cafes and stuff for my coffee channel was um i would say to them I'll, if you want, I can send this to you before I publish it. If you want me to edit uh, like your section slightly differently, I'm happy to do that. Like, I want to make sure that your cafe comes across looking really great, which, um, you know, that reassures them like, okay, it's not going to be just like someone doing like whatever they feel like about us and not showing us in the light that we want to be shown. So um, I think that's definitely uh important um i also wonder like for you do you have you found that you need to speak japanese in order to work with like more of the the japanese side of the um industry here
1: i think every single word of japanese that you can learn and master helps Mm. um i've done interviews in japanese before but it was for non non non-technical subjects let's say I'm, i'm doing a travel piece and i'm have been sent somewhere. Um, I'll do as much research as possible around the the subject of the interview, the person, the area, the region, the the items to be discussed. Um, because my Japanese is not that great, um, mm-hmm. and so I, I find that uh, you know doing a lot of research uh, before I actually get there helps. Um, mm-hmm. So I have done interviews in Japanese. I've written articles based on them. Um, but yes, I mean the more Japanese you can you can master the better. More and more companies these days have English-speaking um, executives, English-speaking uh, public relations officers, But it's not common. It's very rare, in fact. Um, I, I did an interview with the, the governor of Tokyo recently. And you know she answered in um, Japanese. But I, I asked the questions in, in English. You know, but she speaks English. Yeah. She, she felt more comfortable that particular time uh, speaking in Japanese so even somebody as fluent as she is may sometimes you know opt to speak in Japanese and you have to be sort of prepared for that um, mm. you know having a, a competent translator with you sometimes might be the best option I've, I've done that before um, when I go to an interview that is very technical um, I remember interviewing a politician about um, you know cryptocurrencies <laughs> I mean it's a difficult enough subject in English let alone in Japanese so in that case right. I, I had a um, interpreter with me, but yes, I mean the more Japanese you you learn um, naturally, the the better things will be for yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what would be some of the advice that you would give to people who are looking to get into um, either journalism or writing in general in Japan?
1: Again, it depends on uh, you know what kind of journalism, what kind of writing. Uh, is it uh, you know working in an in an agency like an ad agency? Um, mm-hmm. that's, there's lots of writing there lots of copywriting to be done um is it uh you know joining a tech company you know in a position like a ux writer um mm. that's an option um is it you know traditional journalism you know, joining a media company like i don't know bloomberg or something um those are also, those are also uh, options if it's freelancing i would suggest tapping into your your personal network um, LinkedIn actually, um, you know, especially with, with COVID, uh, seems to have suddenly become alive again. Um, mm. I never used to take LinkedIn seriously, but I, I noticed that I get a lot of hits whenever an article of mine is published and somebody shares it on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a good resource. I would say, you know, f- you know, search people on LinkedIn, um, you know, editors of publications, and send them a LinkedIn message if you can um mm. you know depending on what kind of settings they have but you'd be surprised at how many people will actually respond and how many people will want to communicate so just find out you know who the editor is of whatever pub- publication you enjoy reading and you'd like to write for um send them a messages on uh, on linkedin or on mm. email um they have and you'd be surprised just how you know responsive people can be
0: yeah, I, I was surprised about that as well because I always used to think like, okay, those people are really busy. They don't have time for like, you know, randomers off the street just like calling them or messaging them. And um but they I are, noticed but they,
1: they they don't get a lot of random emails.
0: <laughs> yeah, as long as it's like a personal email. Like the, the biggest yeah. issue that um that I see, like, and I have this a lot from my website is I get quite a lot of messages from people and the, you know, even just like the 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 start of it, they'll say something like, Dear sir or madam, comma. And it's just like, oh my God, like at least <laughs> look up who it is that you're emailing and put their name in there. And if you write something personal, like, you know, I really loved your article about this and and um I found it really useful and shared it with some of my friends, um, you know, I'd really like it, And then you can kind of go into you know, some kind of um, ask or, or talk or whatever, but, but um, make it personal, make it something that's actually related to them, because otherwise it just feels like a, a cut and paste email, um, which isn't very, you know, interesting, useful to read, and people can easily ignore it.
1: Well, I mean, the editors are expert readers, and they know when something is cut and paste, or whether it's yeah, actually yeah. written um, with any sense of, uh, you know, the person. So yeah, be careful when you're, when you're writing to editors, because they know writing, and they know cut and paste. So mm. yeah, I mean, I'll just say you know, tap into things like LinkedIn, tap into things, you know, and you know, aim high. You know, go 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 for those publications that you really enjoy reading. You know, find your your, your top twenty publications, um, and, and identify the editor for each one, or um, uh, even a writer who's connected to each one, and spend that weekend, you know, crafting emails to each one of them. Uh, yeah or wherever they are, you know, the, the, they might be on Instagram or, you know, WhatsApp, um, send them a DM, you know, slide into their DMs. I mean, this is, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, yeah. So, I mean, find them wherever, wherever they are, you know, Twitter, um, you know, stalk them on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. but just be personal and and sincere and let them know that you're available, that you're looking for work. And again, you be, even if they don't take you, they might know somebody in their network that they can recommend you to, that's the other thing, you know, I mean, you may not get the, um, the Guardian, whatever, writing gig, but, you know, that person might recommend you to something else, you know, The Economist or, or whatever it is.
0: Right, and um, a good piece of advice I got recently was, um, reach out to the ones you don't care about as much first because you'll get you you'll get practice at how to write in a way that gets you some responses or that um, kind of makes you come across well and yeah. so um, I did this recently with some of the, the work I've been doing and I, I would reach out to companies that I was like okay well if they say if they ignore me or they say no, that's okay because they're not my, my top one. But if mm. you reach out to your favorite one first and they go no, then it can be pretty demoralizing. So um, yeah, you get, get better at it as well. Like reaching out to people is a skill as well. And, and um, you know, communicating well with people. Um, and,
1: uh, yeah. and of course, yeah, the last thing I'd, I'd probably advise, something that I myself haven't really done very much and that is start writing about subjects that you care about and publishing it. Um, mm. I know people who have ended up getting writing jobs because an editor or a writer read their work somewhere. Mm -hmm. It could be something like medium.com, which is a blogging site, where many people write um, about whatever, you know, um, skateboarding or coffee making, whatever your interest is, you know, write about it, publish it, you know, is try and create an audience of your own. If you're, if you're a LinkedIn person, if you're a Twitter person, you know, Twitter, if you're a if you're a YouTuber, or, you know, if you're on Twitch, you know, um, create an audience based on your passions and that in itself may end up leading into, you know, people coming to you instead of you going out to people.
0: Yeah and I, I 100% agree with that. That happened with me with um live work play Japan. That's part of the reason I'm working with Jobs in Japan now was that I was doing, you know, Facebook outreach and doing some ads and stuff and they were doing really well and um and uh, the guy who owns Jobs in Japan reached out to me and he was like you're doing really great on social media can you do that for me? And yeah. um <laughs> like that's yeah that's been like a f- I've been working with them for 4 years now. It's probably the longest job I've ever had. <laughs> um and right. and uh, I think a lot of that just comes from showing people like, hey, I can actually do this as Mm. opposed to going like, hey, please give me a chance to show you that I can do this. It's like, well, people can can see your work for them for themselves and and uh, see whether you're actually able to do what you say you can do. Uh,
1: Well, as somebody once said, you know, writers write.
0: (laughs) That's a a good quote. You
1: you have to write, whether it's writing for yourself or writing for for a, a paid audience. You have to write mm-hmm. and you have to publish and, and, you know, there are a thousand self-publishing platforms out there, um, you know, Thumb, Thumbstack, Medium, go down the list. Um, mm. I'm sure there are also of you know, writing geniuses out there who have stacks full of writings you know, on their desktop, but that's not really any good for anybody. Mm. Um, if you're going to put in that much effort into something, you might as well share it with the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that's a good place to uh, to end it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, John. I appreciate it. Um, where no, can people you. find some of your writings if they wanted
1: to check you out? Well, just just Google me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, okay. I'm 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 working on a, on a personal website. Going go back to you know publishing stuff, um, I'm working on a, on a on a personal website. So you know, hopefully, it will come up <laughs> at some point yeah. this year. But um, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm I'm on Medium, which I haven't really done much with. Um, But uh, yeah, if you Google John Amari, there are two of us in the world. One is an American lawyer, one is not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll put some links in the description then. All right, thank you so
0: much. No problem, thanks, Charlie.